0: How great is the love of the Father lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that, that is exactly what we are. The reason the world does not know Him is that it did not know Him. Know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as He is pure. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning... Lord, speak to us as your sons and your daughters, as men and women who really need to hear from dad. And God, I'm not dad, that's you. So Father, would you speak into our lives? And Father, for those who are hurting, Lord, just with the circumstances, some of whom we've already prayed, but Lord, some who we haven't prayed for. So Father, meet us right where we are, for we are your children and we are waiting to hear from you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a series on marriage, finding the missing pieces. And uh, we started this, goodness, about a month ago. And it just keeps kind of growing. We will be wrapping it up during the month of October, so just be assured of that because I've another series I'm preparing and I'm getting anxious to get into called Blessed, and uh, we're looking forward. I'm looking forward to that. You don't. You're not looking forward to yet because you don't know what it is, but uh, you will find out soon enough. But as we look at the topic of marriage, I want to go ahead and kind of continue on from where I was last week and looking at the role of the wife and the relationship with her husband and how that reflects the, the role of Christ in the church and the role of the church to Christ and that is the issue of submission and I wanted to start out by saying and acknowledging the reality, this reality that being a wife has its challenges Being a wife has its challenges. I know that many women look forward to that day when they are going to be married. And suddenly they they see their prince and they say, wow, yes, he is the man of my dreams. What you don't realize is that he's going to become the man of your reality. You know, the reality is going to dawn sooner or later. And the man is going to fall off the pedestal you put him on. Unless you're Lars. (laughs) but all men will disappoint their wives at some point in time at some point in time you're going to your your wife is going to wake up in the morning and they're going to look at the guy next to them and they're going to say where did you come from well honey don't you remember for better for worse for richer for poorer in sickness and in health morning breath and not You know, till death do us part, baby. Welcome to your new reality. All men will disappoint. In spite of our best of intentions, even the most honorable, well-intentioned man will disappoint and even hurt his wife at one point or another. Some men, all men, will disappoint, but there's another category I want to at least acknowledge, and that is this. Some men are just very difficult. They're cantank- cantankerous. It's an old word, crotchety. They're just difficult to live with at one point or another. Right, Bill? Why is your wife smiling, Bill? <laughs> Sorry to point you out. You're new to the body. I shouldn't do that. (laughs) But some men are just very difficult to live with. And when that is the case, when you're living in the midst of disappointment, and you you discover that the husband that you marry is not just going to disappoint you, but he's actually really difficult to live with, what do you do? That's a hard truth. Peter writes a letter to his constituents and he addresses this among many issues but this is a very important issue that he spends some time on and he addresses wives who are actually married to very cantankerous men men who are very difficult to live with and he addresses the wives and he has to because in response to their difficulty they were rising up against their husbands and they were trying to do it in the name of Christ. They are saying, hey, listen, you're not better than I am. I'm not your property. Christ has elevated me beyond what the Greek and Roman culture was allowed me to experience. I don't have to take this from you. They were rising up against their husbands and their husbands' leadership, thinking that that was the way to restore order an equilibrium in their lives and in their marriages. And Peter says that's not the way to do it. If you want to have an influence in your husband's life even if he can be difficult to live with. There is a better way. So if you'd like turn in your bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 very very quickly this morning. I have 30 minutes. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And I want to pause right there and just remind us of that term, submissive. And while the literal meaning is to bring yourself under the authority of another, what is the heart with which you do it? Is it a begrudging thing? Is it a I gotta do it thing? What is the heart with which you do it? And why is that important? The heart with which you do it is this, and it's your choice. No one can make another person submit. It's your choice. But it's where you say, because of my worship of Christ, because of my connection with Him, because we do this out of reverence for Christ, which is a call to worship and connection with Him, that is the motivation, that is the energy, that is the, the, the reason to do this. And it is also the strength with which you do this with. You say, I choose to renounce my own self-interest so that I can serve the needs of my husband, so that I can come alongside of him and I can help him and give him what he needs most from me. When I say the needs of your husband, I'm not speaking about his command. I am not even give me another beer. Or would you please go run my bathwater? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what your husband needs most. I don't care what he tells you. Tell It is in this context, this attitude of renouncing one's own self-interests, that Peter goes on to say: Do this so that if any of them do not believe the word, and you can read that as he's actually hostile to your faith, he's talking to these wives who were married to men who did not know Christ, so that if any of them do not believe, the word. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence, what's the reverence there? Reverence for Christ, the worship, the change of heart that comes about as a result of that, the reverence of your lives. Now here's Peter's point speak to the ladies. The way in which you influence your husband is not through power to control. Seizing to grasp that power and your equality and say, I am I'm going to try to control you in one way or another through nagging, through belittling, through contempt, through control, whatever form that takes. It says the way to influence your husband is not through the power to control, but through the beauty of respect through the beauty of respect. Peter goes on to say your beauty in verse 3, your beauty, that which all women long to be beautiful, don't they? And it's really sad when a woman gives up because she feels such self-hatred and such self-contempt for themselves. But God made women long to be beautiful. He's not talking necessarily just simply about the physical beauty. He's talking about the beauty of a person. It's drawn, it's, it's rooted in their femininity. Some people may think, Martin, where did you get that? You're not a woman. I read it in a book. No, just talking to women. Just working with women for years. They long to be beautiful. But he says, don't make the physical side your soul and only, or even your most important priority. Goes on to say, the un- it should be that of your, your beauty, should not simply come from outward adornment, such as the braided of, braided of hair and wearing your gold jewelry and fine clothes.
1: This is all window
0: dressing. It's all window dressing. And it's going to change. It's going to change. Is anything wrong with looking physically beautiful? Absolutely not. But it's not the priority. It's not the top priority. He said this, says this in verse four. "Instead, it should be that of your inner self. It's your character, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. I want to say this. Now, I'm going to say it twice so you get it, ladies. A woman with a striking physical appearance may grab a man's attention for a moment. But a woman with a striking character will hold a man's heart for a lifetime. Amen, guys? I want to say it again. A woman with a striking physical appearance may grab a man's attention for a moment. He, it may turn his head. It may grab his attention like that and say, wow! Visually, I'm attracted to that. But it's only going to hold his attention for a moment. But a woman with a striking character One that is not trying to control and to manipulate and to punish. A woman with a striking character will hold a man's heart for a lifetime. And I'm here to tell you, that is just so glorious. My wife today, after 31 years of being married, I find her more attractive than what I did when we married 31 years ago. I just do. I'm, she's got my heart. Even with all the changes of life that we, we, we have gone through physically, I still find her more attractive today than I did 31 years ago. Because she is a woman of character. Now, does this mean, when he says, speaks of gentle and quiet spirit, does this mean that a woman, a wife, must remain silent? Be quiet, woman. Does that mean she must be silent? Is that is that what it's is that what he's talking about? It's not. It's not. That is passivity. And the last thing a husband needs from his wife is passivity. The very your very purpose as a wife is to be a helper who is suitable for your husband, not who is quiet and stays in a corner. The idea of helper is someone who comes alongside and provides for him what he cannot do on his own, who gives him what he does not possess on his own, so that the two can become one and can accomplish something far greater together than what, they, than what he could do by himself or what she could do by herself. That's what it's about. But what was happening here where these women were rising up against their husbands. And they were, many of them did not know Christ. The husbands did not. And the women were rising up and, and they were destroying their husbands. And they were destroying their testimonies of Christ. Because they were insisting upon their rights. They were insisting that things go their way. That's what was happening and Peter says, you've got it wrong. You are disrespecting your husband. The very thing that a man needs most from his wife is respect. And I don't care if you're a Christian or un, a non-Christian, unsaved person. The greatest thing that a, wife, a husband needs from his wife is respect. But this is not passivity. Any man who makes... Feels like he can make a, make a decision, a major decision, without consulting his wife, is a fool. Unless it has to do with buying a motorcycle. Wives just don't get that. Not really. John, what are you talking to Sandy about right there? <laughs> I got some ideas for you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> You are to be helper, a helpmate, someone who has strength, character, someone who possesses qualities and attributes and gifts that your husband does not have, which if he does not, which you bring to the table, you bring that to the party. And together, together you guys can accomplish far more than what you could separately but what Peter is referring to, it's undercurrent here, is that of respect. Respect your husband. Respect him. Now, the question after last week was, Martin, what does that look like? What does it look like? Well, it looks like this. First, avoid power struggles. Avoid power struggles. That's the very thing that was going on to whom to those whom Peter is writing. When he says. When he speaks about an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, he's saying, don't be pushy and condescending to your husband. Well, what about him? Should he be pushy and condescending to me? No, no one should be pushy or condescending to anybody. But he says, that's what you, you, you ladies are doing. That's what you're doing. But instead, the whole idea of a gentle and a quiet spirit on the positive side is someone who is at peace with themselves. Someone who is at peace with their God. They're at peace with themselves. And so therefore, they bring peace to the situation. That sense of shalom. That sense, that ability to be able to enter into a situation and not jump in and try to control. And not jump in and try to push around. And not treat with contempt. But instead, they come in filled with respect. Filled with a with an understanding of the pressures that need to be dealt with and what they bring to the table to help to help deal with that the situations that they're facing but they bring peace the whole idea of of a quiet spirit is someone who's not it's not speaking of someone like I said who is doesn't speak it's talking about someone who's tranquil they're just at peace. They're at peace. They're not engaging. They're not engaging in power struggles. And here's why: power struggles are dangerous. A couple of weeks ago, I was asked this question during the or in preparation for the Q and A session that we had a couple of weeks ago, and I did not address this because I really wanted to hold on to it. I didn't have time during that time, but I wanted to hold on to it for this, this section, and is this. A wife asks, As a wife, how do you stand firm in your belief, Okay, how do you stand firm in your belief on a non-sin issue without being disrespectful? If it is a difference, be- uh, difference of opinion, does your husband automatically get the final say? Well, no, I won't go there. Our petty argument was over if it was okay to watch the show Sister Wives. I know this is a common issue. Amen. Most of the arguments that we get into is over petty issues. When do you fight it out? I love that. When do you fight it out? And when do you let it go? When do you let it go? Um, that there is there's a lot going on in the backstory here that I could talk about, but um, let me say this: these non-essential issues can destroy a marriage and a friendship if it's if if we are committed to power struggles. The arguments that Kim and I get into the most are over petty issues. And at the root of that is ego. It's ego. This last week, we had an issue. Not a big issue, but an issue nonetheless. And she was doing something, and I said, well, why don't you just call this person? And she's all right. I'll just go. I'll I'll do it. I thought, what? I said, okay. Well, you know, do what you want to do. I'm going to go to Costco. Get some samples. Soothe my troubled spirit. And it happened to be a really good sample day too. But I had to pick up a prescription. That was my excuse. So I just, I'm going to, I'm going to Costco. <laughs> and I got there and I thought, you know what, Martin? The whole issue here is this. Your ego. Your pride. Your pride. So much of the issues that we deal with are ego-oriented, aren't they? Anybody else find that to be true? Raise your hands, guys. Ladies. Yeah, our ego. We just it's they're not big issues. They're ego issues. They're ego issues. Where does this come from? This desire for control, this willingness to fight it out over non-essential issues watching shows like Sister Wives or Who Gets to Hold On to the Remote Control or this or that or Who Changes the Radio Station. Where does this come from? It comes from this. And by the way, all of these things that I'm sharing to you, with you today work both ways. Men and women. Okay. But the fruit of our sin and our rebellion is this. In Genesis chapter 3, In addition to painful child rearing, bearing, excuse me, that God tells Eve that you're going to have to deal with because of the rebellion against him and his authority and his rulership, his dominion, he says this to the woman. He said, "You will want to control your husband. You will want to control your husband." Part of what the deformity that happens to his soul, that happens to your soul, as a wife, as a result of sin, is you're going to want to kind of go in and you're going to want to, you're going to, want to control the situation. Ladies, do you, am, I, am I close? Can I get a few more? You want to control the situation. And when that happens, when you feel like that's rising up within you, what it's doing is it's destroying your peace. That sense of tranquility. And what it's doing is it's setting you up in hostility against, in this case, against your husband. There's a beautiful, actually it's not a beautiful picture, it's an ugly picture, but accurate, of what takes place within a person. In this case, a woman who struggles with these control issues and what goes on on the inside. Because it's not just a decision up here, but it's an issue right here. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, the same wording is used where Cain is considering killing Abel, his brother. And as a result of that, he's wrestling with it and there's this this desire beginning to overtake him. And God goes to Cain and said, listen, sin is crouching at the door and it desires it desires to dominate you. In other words, it's about to take over your, your, your actions. It's about to take over your soul. And as a result of that, it's going to dominate you. It's going to change you from the inside out. And the way it changes us, the way it changes women in this case, and again, it can work both ways, is... Is ugly. But he says to the wife this as well in Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 3. He says, your husband will also want to dominate you. A woman's desire that God created for that helpmate role that since produces in its most pure form a desire for interdependence, a desire for connection, and a desire for partnership with her husband. But as a result of sin, it turns it into a passion for control. So that sense of interdependence that all women long for in a partnership with her husband as she goes into the marriage is changed and transformed into the ugly, ugly picture Reality of control. And it happens in a different way. The same thing happens with the husband. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. In other words, he's big, been given dominion. And you are to work with him in that dominion. But when you rise up and try to have dominion over him, he is going to rise up against you. He will rise up against you. And it will happen in a hundred different ways, but a man's desire to lead as God originally intended will become tyranny and abuse. It can become tyranny and abuse. He begins to fight back. Fight back when he feels like there's disrespect and there's a power struggle brewing. And what happens is this. First, he becomes angry and aggressive by asserting his role over his wife. Oftentimes, this is what happens more often than not. And if he's hurt, and if it continues on, then he begins to withdraw. He throws himself into his work the one place where he will get respect. But if it continues, he'll feel defeated and he will become like a teenage boy who will let you make all of the decisions, and take all the responsibility while he pursues his own interests. That's what happens within the soul of a man when his wife tries to control and have dominion over him. Folks, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. So whenever there is a power struggle, everyone loses. The power struggles are rooted in sin and ego. James 4 says, Where do conflicts, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, your passions that battle within you? It's ego. It's ego. It's pride. So power struggles are rooted in sin and ego. Power struggles war against our marriages and our families. Power struggles deform our own souls. It says in 1 Peter 2, and I love what he says here, abstain from those desires which war against your soul. It changes us. It changes us. So the more, and I'll speak to both husbands and wives, the more we fall into these patterns, the more we become like them. And the more they consume us. And the more depraved we get. Excuse me, the more wicked we get. Okay? Well, does that mean there are no issues with which we can have disagreement? What about major issues? Not... Just issues of whether or not to watch this TV show or that show or do this or do that. What do you do then if you disagree with your husband? Well, you seek wise counsel. You seek wise counsel. And you try to understand the reasons for resistance and reasons for the differences of opinion and whether or not you're even seeing things on the same page. And you deal with this. Well what happens if there's sin issues, sin issues of verbal or emotional abuse or even physical abuse, what do you do then? You call the authorities. You deal, God says God has placed civil authorities to deal with physical abuse issues. God has called the church authorities to deal with emotional or other issues that need that come up and you seek the mediation. But I will tell you this, the vast majority of what I see are not the major issues. Sometimes they are, but they're the minor issues. For if only, if only, there was a willingness to renounce one's own self-interest so that I may willingly and eagerly meet the needs of another, there would be peace. There would be Peace. So if you're going to respect your husband in the spirit of what Peter is speaking about, he says, avoid power struggles. Second, and I'm going to move through this very quickly. Very, very quickly. Second is admire him. I know it feels like an ego boost, doesn't it? It's not that at all. You're his partner. And the whole, even the very word for husband is a word that, is, that reflects a position that is to be esteemed. And every man, every man wants to be admired by his wife. Amen, guys? You want to be admired. You want to be the man, the, the knight in shining armor. You want to be seen as strong. You want to be seen as competent. And wives, you have a lot of power in developing a man who is worthy of admiration by treating your man with respect. But admire him. Use your partner. You bring resources and gifts and capacities. You want him. You want to believe in him. You want to. But you're also his champion. You're also his champion. And as you get behind him and you say, yeah, go guy. I'm I'm, I'm here with you. Kim and I were talking, and she used this as guilt. She, she felt guilty about this. But we were talking this last week about a time when, oftentimes, Kim and I will work with couples together. And uh, one time she walked out, and she says, You know, honey, I really respect what you said to them. That was really, really wise. You know what that did to me? Maybe maybe I'm not a failure. Made me think, maybe, maybe there is something good that I can do. It made me willing and eager to go and to take on the next situation. The next situation. The woman, the persons whose opinion I value the most is my wife. She, sorry, she's a 10 in terms of the value I place on her opinion. You guys, three or four. You guys got to tell me. <laughs> she doesn't. And she said, yeah, you know, honey, I don't tell you that nearly enough. And I said, honey, I, said, I appreciate it whenever you do tell me. I need that from you. I need to know that you admire me. It's not, it's not an ego thing for me. It's a thing of, you know what? I've got strength from you. I get strength from you. Okay? Finally, the last thing I'm going to speak about is this. Desire Him. Desire Him as your champion. He used to be your best friend. You guys are best friends. And I'm going to speak about this more in two weeks about how to become best friends. Desire him as your champion. Desire him as your lover. Desire him as your lover. You know, in Proverbs, you know what it is that makes the seductress so, so compelling to the man who falls into her snare? It's this. She desires him. She desires him. Every man wants to be wanted by the one who matters most. And when a man starts to get the feeling that his wife doesn't want him, physically, intimacy, it's incredibly deflating to him. It's incredibly deflating. Well, Martin, what what happens if if my drive isn't like his and I just don't want him like he wants me? Lie to him. No, not not really. (laughs) A man will will believe anything when it comes to these things, right, guys? (laughs) We're going to talk more about this later. Not lying to him, All right. Maybe you can stretch the truth a little bit, but, uh, you know, not really. No, we're going to talk about this. That's later, though. I'm, I'm almost out of time. Martin, if your marriage is great or good on the scale of 1 to 10, if it's a 7, 8, or 9, this is easy. But when it's 1, 2, 3, or 4, it's tough. It is. It is. But this is where it gets back to your relationship with the Lord. It's where you go and say, God... I'm going to do this for Him. And I'm going to be empowered by You. Because as I'm empowered by You, then I will go and I will offer myself to Him. And I will, God, I will avoid, I will seek by the power of the Gospel that is within me by the Holy Spirit. God, help me to avoid. Help me to avoid power struggles. Lord, help me to admire Him. Help me to desire Him. God, I need you to help me do that. I need you to help me do that. For Peter goes on to say, for the for in the past, this is how those who the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Guys, how many of you think that you're a woman who is like this? Is an incredibly gorgeous, hot woman? Okay, this is where you can raise your hands. Okay. I've got some homework for you. And it is this. Wives, I want to encourage you at some point this week in a creative way, in a way that reflects your personality and reflects who your husband is. That You come alongside of him and you say, let me tell you all the ways I respect you. And it's not so much about accomplishments as much as it is about character, about intention. Celebrate whatever you can. Okay? Find the gold in the dirt and celebrate that. Sit down with Him and say, let me tell you how, what I respect about you. And husbands, because this works both ways, you have this job to do this week, this task, this powerful thing. And that is you go to her and tell her all the ways in which you love her. All the reasons you love her. This is her mother tongue. She needs to know that you understand her Pressures that she faces, the insecurities that she has. She wants to know that you love her and that she is the standard of beauty in your life. She is the standard of beauty. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Alright, you guys game for the homework? Alright, you guys back there game for the homework? That's the quiet sec- sec- section, the cheap seats back there. Alright, you guys game? Alright, that, that wasn't very loud, come on folks. Yes, alright, alright, good. Had to, had, to, had to work at that a little bit. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, Lord, we really do want to not grow lazy in how we deal with our husbands and our wives. Lord, we want to be intentional. We want to take and we want to be rooted first in the Gospel and worshiping You. And out of that, Father, we want to be able to come alongside the husband or the wife that You've given to us and say, I want to celebrate You. But Father, we recognize and we admit that we have a lot of ego in our lives. Lord, a lot of ego that needs to be repented of. Lord, a lot of ego that needs to be admitted to, and a lot of ego that needs to be slain. so that we can make the choice to renounce our own self-interest so that we might, we may. Willingly and eagerly meet the needs of those who matter most to us, our husband or our wife. Lord, I pray for this, that you would restore the health of the marriages of Elam. Lord, that the marriages of Elam would be an oasis, a place of renewal for people are strengthened. People are encouraged. People receive words of life, not words of death. Father, move in our hearts by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Our heart is that we would surrender, because apart from surrendering to God first, Uh we can't love. We are called to love God and love others. And because of God flowing through us, we're able to love. And in the community of faith, when you're, when you're single, when you're, when you're in high school, in junior high, the thing that you have to work on is learning how to love one another in the community of faith. Because if we can learn how to love one another in the community of faith, it helps us to learn how to deal with conflict, how to put others first, and prepares us for that marriage relationship. And for those that are married, don't be afraid to talk through things with others. Again, that community of faith coming alongside, asking good questions. It's important that we walk together. It's important that we learn how to love one another. When you open your Bible and when you look at the words, see how many times it says love one another love one another love one another love covers a multitude of sins love one another it's all over because that's the heart of god is that we would love him love others learn how to live in community building one another up having good marriages learning how to deal with conflict and fight well and to respect and honor one another one another god we give you our marriages whether we're married now or we will be one day. Father, we give you our lives, whether we're, we're single now and single forever. Lord, teach us to love as you love. Teach us to see people as you see people. Father, help us to remember the great forgiveness we have so that we are able to forgive others.